evening, Raleigh. It is Tuesday, October 2nd, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake Languan. We thank you for tuning in. Tomorrow marks the first presidential debate, so tonight we're bringing you some more information on the candidates and what you can expect. In addition, campus safety has become an issue lately, with several high-profile crimes having occurred on or near campus in the past several weeks. And just so things don't get too serious, some sound bites. But before all of that, first we turn to Jasmine and Andrew for the latest in the news and weather. What can we look forward to this week, Jasmine? Thanks, Jake, and good evening, Wolfpack. It is currently 81 degrees outside right now, but tonight you might want to keep an umbrella on your side as there is a 30% chance of rain and isolated thunderstorms later on tonight with a low of 71 degrees. Tomorrow, there will be a high of 82 degrees with a low of 69. It will be partly cloudy, and the chance of rain just so happens to be 20%, so we haven't escaped the rain just yet. Thursday, keep those umbrellas around because there will be a 30% chance of rain with a high of 77 and a low of 88. Be on the lookout for scattered... For scattered thunderstorms. Get excited for Friday with only a 10% chance of rain with a lovely high of 82 degrees and a low of 58. Skies are expected to be partly cloudy. Same with Saturday or game day for the Wolfpack. Chance of rain will be 10% with a high of 82 degrees and a low of 60. Finally, we will end the weekend off on Sunday with a high of 71 degrees and a low of 50. Chance of rain will be 20% with partly cloudy skies. That's all for the weather. Thank you, Jasmine. And now we turn to Andrew for the latest in the news. Andrew? Thanks, DeAndre. Tomorrow night will be the first presidential debate of the 2012 election. Barack Obama and Mitt Romney will face off at the University of Denver over domestic policy. It begins at 9 Eastern time and will be moderated by Jim Lehrer of PBS. A judge in Pennsylvania ruled today that voters do not need a valid photo ID to cast a ballot. Pennsylvania is a swing state with 20 electoral college votes that has been seen as leaning towards Obama. Though the purpose of the law was to prevent voter fraud, some say it was an attempt by the Pennsylvania Republican legislator to swing the state towards Romney. And the Iranian rial lost a third of its value this week. This has been cited as a sign that Western sanctions against the country are having an effect on its economy. Today, the rate is 34,500 rials to the dollar, down from Sunday's rate of 29,600. And that's the news. Thanks for that, Andrew. Anyone that receives the campus crime alert emails is no doubt used to seeing the emails in their inbox. However, in the past several weeks, the emails have detailed more serious crimes than our campus is used to. DeAndre has more. Well, obviously we have a rapist in Lincoln Park. He's climbing in your windows. He's snatching your people up. It's been fairly clear that lately there have been a fair amount of crime alerts going out to students. And... While sitting around a table with your friends, it is probably extremely easy to laugh off the incidents without much worry. However, when walking alone back to Sullivan from the Brickyard or from Witherspoon Student Center to Avon Ferry, if you are in a situation similar to mine, the alerts tend to weigh heavy on your mind. Alone is when you are most vulnerable, and that is for anyone, men and women alike. There has been a total of five alerts in the past month. A homicide in Cameron Village in which the suspect was apprehended on September 10th. On the 28th of September, there was a man that climbed into the bed of female students on Chamberlain Street. Another man lying in the bed of a female student in Tucker. A man approaching a female student near the parking deck on Dan Allen. And a homicide a couple of nights ago on Neely Street. In lieu of all these alerts, the Chancellor has addressed the students online via ncsu.edu. Quote, In light of the recent incidents on and around the NC State campus, I want to reinforce our commitment to providing a safe and welcome environment while stressing the importance of personal awareness. 
The safety of our campus community is a top priority and a fundamental component of our mission as an institute of educational excellence. As such, we have never before been so well equipped to both maintain and efficiently communicate about campus security. We have increased the scope of our communication of recent incidents involving the NC State community so that students, faculty, and staff have the necessary information to make safe choices when traveling on or off campus. Unquote. He also gives certain tips for staying safe on campus, or anywhere really, when you think about it. I'll go over these tips with a little expoundance on my part. First, he says keep doors locked, including interior doors to rooms and suites within residence halls. Remember that it's important to keep suite and room doors locked at the same time. The more locks, the better, and the harder it is for someone to get to you while you're sleeping. Travel in groups at night, and this one is pretty self-explanatory and pretty obvious in my opinion. A person by themselves is much easier to apprehend than a group of people. That's just a plain old fact. Next, promptly notify police of any incidents. Any incidents, by the way. Any suspicions, any incidents that you think shouldn't be happening on campus, let campus police know. At worst, nothing is going wrong. But at best, you've just stopped something that could have been potentially a lot worse. Next, report suspicious individuals in your work and or living area. This one sort of ties to the last one in that if you see anyone that looks like they're doing something wrong, there's a good chance that they are doing something wrong. So don't hesitate to report them to campus police. And utilize campus resources such as safety escorts. I know that I myself, and I'm a fairly large man, am not comfortable with walking by myself at night, let alone somebody smaller than me. Campus escorts are there for a reason, to help students stay safe at night. Remember, utilize them. Report unsafe conditions such as burned out exterior lighting. This just applies to those dark places on campus where there used to be a light, but maybe there isn't one anymore. Those places should be lit up and probably are lit up in a best case scenario. So don't be afraid to call campus police and let them know about those parts. Remember that the more precautions you take, the safer you are on this campus. We want everyone to live a long and happy Wolfpack life. Just to protect yourself out there. Remember to go out with friends, or better yet, come home with friends. Lock all doors, windows, and entryways into your rooms. And don't let people into the dorm that you're not sure live there. Sure, it may seem rude, but being rude is better than being harmed. Fry in the triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Tomorrow marks the first of three presidential debates between contenders Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. With just over a month to go, the candidates are in the home stretch to make themselves heard. Here's Jake with what we can expect over the next month. When Mitt Romney led Bain, hundreds of plants, factories, and stores were shuttered. Workers saw their wages slashed, their jobs sent overseas. Romney made a fortune. Now, Jobless ranks were higher in nearly 90% of U.S. cities. In July, unemployment went up again. And the president is running out of time. Under Obama's economy, it's just not getting better. Voters across the state of North Carolina have no doubt heard advertisements like these for the past several months now. And with a little more than a month to go before the election, North Carolinians are unlikely to catch a break. Along with Virginia, Ohio, Florida, and several other states, North Carolina has once again been declared a battleground state, a state that both campaigns have been flooding with advertising dollars. 
With the exception of Florida, of all of the battleground states, North Carolina currently has the most electoral votes up for grab with a total of 15. And in a winner-take-all system, each state becomes crucial in order to snag the 270 votes needed to win the election. The big news, of course, comes tomorrow night when the sitting president and the Republican challenger face each other for the first time at the University of Denver in Colorado. It has been a challenging few weeks for Mr. Romney after a series of gaffes surfaced, the most recent of which was a leaked video of the candidate apparently writing off 47% of the country. The Romney campaign is hoping that this first debate will allow for the candidate to reconnect with voters, many of whom felt alienated after the remarks. But uh, Governor Romney has to shake things up Wednesday night, doesn't he? He's going to. I mean, uh, every time Mitt Romney has been confronted in this campaign with one of these moments, um, he has come through in a debate and performed extraordinarily well, laying out his vision very clearly and also contrasting himself and his vision with whoever his opponent was at that time. So I have absolute confidence that when we get to Thursday morning, George, all you're going to be shaking your head saying it's a brand new race with 33 so days how to does go. He do it this has been a common theme throughout the Republican Party for the past several weeks. Republicans are counting on the debates to allow Mr. Romney to finally go head-to-head with President Obama. They are convinced that the debates will show that Mr. Romney is a capable leader, has a better plan than the current president, and can connect with voters. A likely theme of Mr. Romney's rhetoric will be jobs in the economy and the disappointing numbers that the president has shown in the past four years. His campaign is hoping that opportunity will persuade often cautious voters of Mr. Romney's competence. After a series of embarrassing missteps, the Republican candidate has fallen behind in state polls in several key states, including North Carolina. But this hardly means President Obama will get a free ride. The current administration has been accused of lying or distorting facts about the economy. And while Mr. Romney has been campaigning and debating for almost two years now, President Obama has not had a debate in nearly four. One area of concern for the Romney campaign, however, is the unprecedented amount of early voting that is expected to take place this election. Early voting will start before the last debate in some key states, and some campaign staffers worry many will have already cast their vote by the time the third and final debate comes around. There will be a total of three presidential debates, each centered around a specific topic. Two of the largest topics that will be discussed at these debates will include both domestic and foreign policy, which has come to the forefront of issues with the recent turmoil in the Middle East. The president has been accused of being too soft with foreign bodies, while Mr. Romney was accused by President Obama of shooting first and aiming later. One area that the Republican candidate continues to hammer the president on is China, with whom Mr. Romney has promised to get tough on regarding fair trade if elected. The president, in turn, has countered that he is tough on China, and that it was Mr. Romney who opposed tariffs on Chinese imports in the first place. It has been this tit-for-tat that has come to define the race over the past several weeks. But many wonder what, if any, this effect will have on actual voting habits. The general electorate is now more partisan than at any point in the past 25 years, according to the Pew Research Center. And the closer it gets to November, the less time each contender will have to convince voters that they truly are the right choice for this country. The first debate will begin tomorrow at 9 p.m. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois.
This Wednesday night will be the first of three debates for the 2012 presidential election. Overseen by an impartial moderator, the candidates will debate a range of topics covering issues that voters care about this year. This is clearly an important event, so we can say in advance it's a shame that not everyone could make it. Of course, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney will both be there, but any of the dozens of other presidential candidates won't be, because they weren't invited. Out of the 26 debates that have been broadcast since 1960, never have they featured a third-party candidate, and only four times have they featured an independent. Currently, the rule set by the Commission of Presidential Debates, the private corporation that oversees the events, is that a candidate must make a 15% support criterion before the debates to participate. But while the purpose of qualifiers such as this may be to keep the debates concise and on topic, it's doing much more harm than good. All that it really serves is the interests of the two major party candidates, who would rather that voters can only swing one way or the other. Three candidates would complicate that, and if there were seven polling equally, none would be able to make the 15% criterion. So over the next few weeks, I on the Triangle will be discussing the major third parties, their candidates, their platforms, and whether supporting one is really throwing your vote away. Because all these candidates will be on the ballot, and the only thing keeping voters from supporting them is that they don't recognize their names. Today, we'll examine the candidacy of Gary Johnson. Johnson is the former two-term governor of New Mexico who won the Libertarian nomination after being excluded from the Republican Party's presidential debates. This has always been a unique quality of the Libertarian Party, an exchange of both candidates and voters with the Republicans. Libertarians cite themselves as being fiscally conservative and socially liberal, and when unable to support a Libertarian candidate, they will usually support a socially moderate Republican instead. Founded in 1971, the Libertarian Party has close to 300,000 registered members and promotes fiscal conservatism, cultural liberalism, and in foreign policy, non-interventionism, taking ideas from both sides of the political spectrum. In 1996, the Libertarian Party became the first third party to earn ballot status in all 50 states, two presidential elections in a row. In 2009, 146 Libertarians held elected offices. Gary Johnson, the party's candidate, first entered politics in 1994 when he ran for governor of New Mexico as a Republican, spending $500,000 of his own money to fund his campaign. Johnson won the election and quickly established himself as a believer in small government, vetoing 200 of 424 bills in his first six months of office, proposing tax cuts on income, prescription drugs and gasoline, and cutting spending in nearly all areas of state expenditure except for education, where he increased funding nearly a third. He won a second term in 1998 and spent the next four years promoting the institution of a school voucher program in New Mexico, which never came to pass, and calling for the legalization of marijuana and an end to the war on drugs, for which he gained praise from both William F. Buckley Jr. and Rolling Stone magazine. When New Mexico was devastated by forest fires in 2000, it was reported that Johnson stomped out flames he spotted on a roadside himself. Limited to two terms, Johnson spent his next years pursuing his hobby of mountain climbing, reaching the summit of Mount Everest with toes blackened by frostbite in 2003. He nearly died after falling 50 feet while paragliding in 2005 and admitted to using medical marijuana for the next three years as pain control. 
In early 2011, Gary Johnson announced he would be pursuing the Republican Party nomination for president. He participated in the first candidate's debate, but was excluded from all following. In December, he formally withdrew his candidacy from the Republican nomination and announced his candidacy for the Libertarian nomination instead. In May of 2012, he won the nomination and chose as his running mate, Judge Jim Gray of California. Johnson identifies his political philosophies as both libertarianism and that of classical liberalism, promoting personal liberties and small government. If elected, he has promised to cut all government spending by 43%, including cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the armed forces, which he says is necessary to balance the budget. He opposes both government regulations and government subsidies of businesses. He is also opposed to government health care initiatives, believing that tort reform to end frivolous lawsuits will instead lower health care costs. Johnson believes in human-caused climate change and has cited the EPA as an example of good government, but opposes mandatory cap-and-trade policies and favors the building of both coal and nuclear power plants. In social issues, Johnson has called for the end of the war on drugs while maintaining that his policy is still, don't do drugs. He opposes gun control, believes that simplifying immigration processes will solve the problem of illegal immigration, and supports gay marriage. He wants to keep abortion legal, but believes it should be the states that decide so, and not the federal government. In foreign policy, Johnson opposes the U.S.'s recent actions in Libya, and will not support any war with Iran, even if Israel becomes involved first. He opposes all foreign aid to any country, but is not wholly opposed to the presence of U.S. military bases overseas. Johnson currently has the best prospects of any third-party candidate, due to both support from within the Libertarian Party as well as from Republicans. Johnson has been courting former supporters of Ron Paul, the Republican candidate who had a small but fervent group leading up to the National Convention. Johnson holds many of the same positions as Paul, though some are actually more moderate. A recent poll places Johnson at 6%. Though Obama's lead over Romney keeps us from being a spoiler per se, it's enough for many libertarians and some Republicans too to hope this draws attention to their beliefs. Next week, we'll have more on third-party candidates when we profile Jill Stein of the Green Party. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned because there's more on the way.
so with the uh, debates less than 24 hours, well, a little bit more than 24 hours away, I thought it'd be a good idea to maybe discuss some of the po- the points that uh, Andrew brought up here, as well as some of the you know eccentricities of this election cycle. What do you guys think? Sure, <laughs> most definitely. Okay. Session. Um, no, I mean, what do you guys think? Is you know, obviously, there's been a lot of talk lately about Mitt Romney and his. Uh, gaff train if you will i mean do you guys think he has a momentum <laughs> in his favor before you think you can get the momentum on his side before election day or what do you guys think um before election day i mean what is there a good is it like 30, uh, 38 days i believe 38 days so a lot can happen especially in the political in the political world in 38 days um barack obama could say something or they Romney could do something that you know could really turn the tide so i think i don't think it's fair to say that something is impossible I, I don't think he has a chance of winning. Um, the Republican Party is fractured after the primary. Uh, a lot of Ron Paul supporters held on till the very end, hoping that they would get some sort of acknowledgement, and they never did. So as I said, a lot of them have gone over to Gary Johnson. So uh, the party has less unity than it did in 2008, and Obama won very solidly in 2008. Extremely so, solidly. So even if Obama lost one or two swing states, which I... I think maybe one or two would be the limit. I think he would carry almost every other state he had in 2008. Even if he lost those, he would still win. So you um, think that's a deal breaker, the fact that the, you know, a lot of Ron Paul supporters were alienated by the party. You think that's a deal breaker? This, you know. I, I, I'm pretty sure if they supported Ron Paul and they saw the, uh, the way that he lost, how, just to get into it briefly, Ron Paul went into the convention with delegates from five states, and that's what he needed to give a speech. All he really wanted at the end was to give a speech and announce his positions, which are very different than uh, mainline Republican. Right. And on the floor, they changed the requirement from five to eight. So uh, a lot of his supporters saw themselves as disenfranchised or silenced right there when they thought that they were going to be able to talk, and they didn't. So I don't think... Many, if any, of his supporters are going to vote for Romney. I'm not saying that's a significant number, but it's certainly less unity than the Republicans had in 2008 when they lost. So I don't really see how they could win this time. Yeah, see, I don't think that's a deal breaker. I think that a lot can happen, especially now with the debates coming up. I was watching some videos, and there, you know, a lot can happen. They were talking about a president's or a candidate's mannerisms at the at the the lectern during a debate can have a huge impact on where you stand. So for all we know, Obama could totally just flop tomorrow night. <laughs> and Mitt Romney, if he comes out really strong, which I'm sure that he's been preparing for this, this is, is you know, the last time they were going to have a reboot of his campaign. Obviously, Mother Jones released that video and his reboot or whatever was obviously largely overshadowed. So I think this is the first real chance he's had since then to really come out swinging, and I think I think he's going to take every advantage of that that he can. Yeah, the the problem with that is just um, Obama has debated more than Romney. Yeah, but not not and, in four years. No, not in four years. But Romney has never been in a presidential debate before. He's debated his own people in his own party, but he was never even really seen as the strongest debater. Then he he always won the debates, but that was him as a candidate overall, and not his debating skills. So I think I think Obama is really going to establish himself tomorrow night, and I think that's only going to get stronger as we move through move towards November. Yeah, I think I think it's important that you don't count him out just yet. I think that he, you know, at the very least, could 
make some headway, um, you know, within the next couple of weeks. I have a, a quick question for Andrew. Do you, do you think that uh, by silencing the Ron Paul supporters, do you think that um, the Republicans took away, you know, whatever chance they did have of taking this election? Well, I I had heard a lot of people saying up to this, and these really could have just been conspiracy theories, but people had predicted that if Ron Paul had gotten the nomination, that the Republicans had a chance at winning because they would have had near. I mean, I don't think any Republican would pick Obama over Ron Paul. So most of them would pick Ron Paul, even if they had supported Romney and many of the libertarians and Gary Johnson supporters right now would have also voted for Ron Paul because they knew he had a significant chance. Right. Uh, not many Ron Paul supporters are going to support Romney, especially now. And, um, I mean, this is this is what people had said before Ron Paul was even out of the election, and it's what they're saying now. I don't think a lot has changed. I I think it really has affected his chances, but See, I, I think I think you are overestimating the influence that Ron Paul had on this election. He has a very devoted core group of supporters, but I don't. I think as far as the main the mainstream in quotations goes. I don't think he had very much appeal, whether or not that's due any fault of his own, or maybe they just didn't get the message out or what, for whatever reason, I don't think that, you know, he, cause he, obviously he's, he's anti-government, you know, no taxes, anti-military. And a lot of Republicans agree with that, but they were, it's a deal breaker when you bring up abortion, gay marriage, and their uh, social conservative issues. Well, um, I think that, uh, well, I think Obama's been really playing that, uh, that, social socio uh that socio uh what's it called way in that he's been focusing a lot on gay marriage and things like that and i think i mean i mean granted he is a democrat but i think that um i think that perhaps the ron paul supporters would be more apt to vote for obama than they would be for romney and i think that jake you might be underestimating the the power of uh the the ron paul supporters yeah, and here's the deal. You don't need a large percentage percentage to be a spoiler. Um, in 2000, when Ralph Nader, uh, a lot of people said he spoiled it for Al Gore, he had 2.6% overall. And as I said in my piece, Gary Johnson supposedly, as of this most recent poll, has 6%. Yeah, but, but so Gary Johnson and Ralph Nader were independent. They ran as, I'm sorry, Ralph Nader ran as a Green Party candidate, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Ron Paul is running as a Republican. So, you know, you don't have that same kind of, you know, splitting the vote. Republicans that want to overthrow Obama are going to vote for Mitt Romney because they know that he is their best chance. Aside from a small group of devoted Ron Paul supporters, they're not going to vote for Ron Paul in in waves. But I'm saying that if you were a Ron Paul supporter, you probably care more about specific issues than just the party overall, which is why you were supporting someone who was not obviously the party favored all the way up to the, to the convention. So I think they are going to go to Gary Johnson. I think Gary Johnson is going to get a significant minority, maybe the 5% that uh, you need to receive public funding because if you, if you receive 5% in a presidential election for the next election, you can receive funding from the government. So you think, you think Gary Johnson is going to get 5% of the, of the national? I, I, think, I think he has a decent chance right now. Yeah, I think, I think he has a, a definite chance considering. It's, it's, not, it's not like an electoral college thing where you need to get a certain percentage in any state 
or you need to get a majority. It's just 5% across the nation, and I think he can get it, and that's definitely going to have an influence on the next election if he can. Yeah, definitely considering that he's he's presenting himself as like a really logical candidate uh, you know, not, uh, you know, typically, typically not extreme, uh, on, on most counts. So, well, okay. So getting back to the, the two main candidates, uh, running for the, the two main parties, I mean, do you guys think that given all that with, with Gary Johnson, Ron Paul and, and what have you, can Obama maintain his lead from now until election day? Most definitely. Absolutely. Most definitely. You think? Yeah. I, I mean, the Gary Johnson, Ron Paul thing, that's not really going to affect Obama. I mean, some of, some supporters may have gone from Obama to Ron Paul, but that's like an incredibly. Do small you think that minority. he's going to maintain um, the lead he does now? He has now. I, mean, I, I think it's going to get bigger. I don't. I, I disagree. I think it's going to get smaller as people, you know, start to realize we got to, you know, yeah. we got to get out there and make sure that. Uh, I think that I think that he's going to maintain the lead, but I think that it's going to be uh, a smaller lead, definitely as more as more polls come in from across the nation. But I definitely think that for Obama to maintain this lead is going to be a lot easier than it would be for Mitt Romney to swing it. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. All right, so what about the role? What do you guys think about the role of early voting in this year's election? That they're saying that this year, early voting is going to play a bigger role than it ever has in any election previously. A um, couple of things to note. It began on September 22nd for overseas and, you know, citizens overseas. Um, so far, as of this morning, 16,000, over 16,000 ballots have been returned. Um, 49% of those, this is in North Carolina, 49% of those have been Democratic so far. 18% have been Republican. 30% have been for other candidates. What do you guys think about that? Well, um, I think that early voting is, a, is another thing that's really going to cater to, um, to the younger generation. I know that a couple of weeks ago on this show, you know, we had a representative come and talk about early voting and how it's now even easier for college students to get out and vote before the actual election days, which uh, college students, granted, um, a lot of them, a lot of them don't have jobs, but we have what, would, what someone would consider a full time job, which is going to school every day, which has made it extremely hard for a lot of us to vote. But now that a lot of college campuses have early voting sites right on the campuses and the campuses are making it extremely easy for them to go out to vote. I think that early voting is definitely going to play a, a lot bigger role in this election. Yeah, I think when you look at the people who do do uh, early voting, it's uh, it's young people. It's students who probably their schedule doesn't allow them to go to well, uh, on the actual election day. I think it's I think it's the young and the old mm-hmm. are the ones that oh, are voting yeah. early. Yeah. And uh, I mean, but it's. It's old people, but it's also people, old people who are very aware of the issue and how to do early voting because it's not it's not as easy as just finding your local polling place. Yeah, actually, it is. I voted in 2010, uh, voted early. I just happened to be downtown and they were they just they walked up to me as I was walking by. I said, you want to vote early? And I had 10 (laughs) minutes before I was doing whatever I was doing down there. And I said, sure. And, you know, you sign up, you vote. It was really easy. The problem is getting there. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. like you said, a lot of college students don't have cars. A lot of the elderly don't have cars. And it's just, you know, it's been a real pain. So I think the majority of people who early vote, I don't think they're just going to be the traditional, you know, straight ticket, one party or the other. And I think that really explains the 30% to other candidates. It's people who really care about the election enough that they're not going to chance it uh, in November when they might not make it to the poll in time. And I also think that early voting is giving a, a real insight, a little bit off of what Andrew said, as to you know as to who is utilizing the system. Uh, you know, thirty percent other in in any race is just 
I think is extremely surprising. Like when I saw that statistic, I you know it made me double take. Because well, these these are these are obviously these are overseas ballots. These are military personnel. These yeah, are you know but diplomats. They're still, but they're still Americans. They're American citizens. But I would not I would not say that they are any representation necessarily of the voting populace, especially here in North Carolina. Um, I believe I'm not sure of this, but I believe also Ohio. Iowa and at least one other swing state is currently holding early va- early voting. So I, I think that as time as the election draws closer, I think you'll see a lot more Republican absentee ballots come in. Um, I don't think that this number is going to stay. Oh, most definitely it's not. I mean, the, that thirty percent is going to go down, and that eighteen percent is going to go up. But I think that it's just it's something that's definitely interesting to look at um, since we're only eight days into the the early voting process. Mm-hmm. So kind of on the same line, uh, just today, actually, you mentioned it earlier, Andrew, Commonwealth Judge Robert Simpson um, put a hold on the Pennsylvania voter ID law who, you know, if, if you're not aware, there was um, a law passed in Pennsylvania earlier this year that said that in order to vote, you needed a government issued ID. And there was a big hubbub about it because a lot of people said that's, you know, it's disenfranchising voters. It's not easy for a lot of people to get IDs. Um, and so what he did was he didn't strike the law down, but what he said was, what, he basically put it on hold for this election. He said, if you do not have an ID this election, that does not disqualify you. That cannot disqualify you from voting this round. He didn't exactly strike the law down, but right. what do you guys think about that? Well, to clarify quickly, it's not just a government-issued ID. It's a government-issued photo ID. The government issues quite well, a few different types of IDs, but not all of them have uh, photos, on, photos them. on them. Like, of course... Social Security or birth certificate or something like that, it says you are, it's not going to have a picture. Mm-hmm. So the example a lot of people used was driver's licenses, which, I mean, it takes time to get a driver's license, and it also takes money. And in a lot of states, you need to have uh, auto insurance to even get a driver's license. So they thought saw this as really uh, threatening and disenfranchising. Well, I mean, they're... They didn't. They needed a photo ID. They didn't need a driver's license. No, so you, no. You but can get was, a photo ID. Uh, I believe. Can you get a free? I think you can get a free. Um, but it's just it's it's a lot very difficult again for mainly for the elderly mm-hmm. to get out. You know, take the time to go and get an ID when a lot of these people, you know, a lot of people have been voting all their lives and suddenly they need ID to vote. And they don't. A lot of these people don't have ID. So and uh, you know, I I recently went to a a seminar on this topic uh, and. It was interesting. The speaker for the seminar was comparing uh, the need for a photo ID to vote as sort of a poll tax, which, of course, is outlawed by, a, you know, an amendment. Um, and uh, the, her, her reasoning for that was that, uh, you know, just like Andrew was saying, not only do you sometimes, uh, depending on the state, need money to get the actual ID. Um, when you're talking about driver's licenses, you need insurance. And I think that it's um, it's definitely a lot of extenuating circumstances that... Um, that make it more difficult for a person to vote. So um, I think that it's uh, definitely fair, at least, to hold to have a hold on this this close to the election. Do you guys buy the argument that this is cutting down on fraud, voter fraud? Well, I mean, it's it's been commonly cited that there is no voter fraud. <laughs> that there were like three or four <laughs> cases nationwide. And that it was a little bit more than that, but it was a really, <laughs> yeah, really low was, number. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that voter fraud is one of those things that, you know, was definitely, you know, it was, it was promoted as to be a really, really, really big problem that was ruining the United States electoral process. 
this yeah, yeah this this definitely isn't the solution more people are going to lose the right to vote than they are cut out yeah. uh fraudulent votes yeah you, you don't think it's worth it oh definitely not definitely not i, I think that I think there should be better efforts to like standardize the voting process and to have some sort of identification. Because I mean, everyone knows it, it is rather hard to register to vote. Yeah, that you can't do it online. You have to I mean, fill out paperwork. You have to wait on it in the mail. Uh, I think there should be some attempt to reform that. And but I don't think it should be this way. It's really my my experience with voting was not like that at all. It's really. The only caveat was you have to you have to be there. You have to be able to get there to vote. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it took me about thirty seconds to sign up to vote, and then I was able to vote right there, and I went on my way. So, you know, I don't think it's is now. The flip side of that is when I voted in the spring, they basically just asked for my name and they pulled out a card and they gave it to me. Mm-hmm. I could have said I was anyone, and they wouldn't have known the <laughs> difference. So, is it possible? Uh, yeah, maybe. But if you want to cut down on fraud like that, I think that's something that should have been passed. Two years ago yeah. or three years ago, you know, to give people the amount. I just don't. It was passed in the spring, and I don't think that's enough time for a lot of people to really understand what this is all about. And I think that the problem is really being addressed in the wrong way as a whole. Uh, I don't think IDs are really the way to do it. I think that you know, greater standardization, greater standardization can be achieved at the polls uh, with. You know, uh, more screenings being held to figure out who is who and if that person has already voted in a different district. Well, are you talking about at the state level or the federal level, county level? What are um, you talking about? I'm talking about any election that's going to that's going to put someone in an office that has that the person's going to be in charge of, a, you know, a, a group of people. I think that regardless of how small it is, it's it's important to make sure that uh, voter fraud isn't happening. But I, but my point is that I don't think that. Uh, passing a law about it is the way to go about fixing the somewhat small problem of voter fraud, if you would even call it a problem. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to understand how you would standardize it, either you or Andrew. Like, at yeah. what level would you standardize it? Yeah, here's the problem. Like, um, in, in in the beginning of our country, like it says in the Constitution, elections are up to the states. They can hold them however they want. They don't yeah. have to hold them. Uh, presidential elections were not popular elections in the beginning it was the governor picked an elector and he went to the electoral college and that's how they picked the president so um this is like a a system that has been built up over 200 over 200 years and it's it's just gotten steadily more and more complicated there's a lot of different problems in it this is probably the very very bottom of the barrel but do you, you so you think that's you think that adding, creating more laws and more change would, would help simplify that? No, no. I think simplifying it would simplify <laughs> it. I think we need fewer laws. We need, I mean, Pennsylvania has the right to do this unless the, you know, the well, judge in Pennsylvania court, yeah. Yeah, strikes it down. But I don't, this, this certainly is not a problem at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think there is something to be said for, for some kind of, of standardization. I mean, everyone remembers 2000 when it came down to a matter of how many votes was it that Al Gore lost by? It was 500 some. <laughs> 500 yeah. something in the state in, of Florida, yeah. which is one of the most populous in the state, and that's just absurd. But that, I mean, that was a problem with the Electoral College. That wasn't even really voter fraud or anything. No, I'm not saying it was voter fraud, so, but they had so many recounts and yeah, just counties yeah, were all over the place. They, they actually halted it halfway through. The Supreme Court said you can't recount it anymore. 
Yeah, and no. people still recounted it afterwards, and they found out Al Gore won. But it's just because they stopped at that point that George Bush ended up winning Florida and then the country. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Oh goodness. <laughs> um, do you guys have any final thoughts about this? I mean, what do you what do you guys what are you guys looking forward to tomorrow? Or are you guys even going to watch it? Well, um, I don't know as to whether I'm going to watch it or not because I mean it's work and school conflicts, but I'm definitely looking forward to what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, you know, the game of what, what Mitt Romney is going to say next, what, what Obama, (laughs) what Obama is going to say in counter to that. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, just like, just like it is every, every, um, every election, I think it's going to be a really big precursor as to see, or as to tell who, you know, who is really standing for what and what these kind of candidates have to say to each other that's not in an ad and that's not pre-recorded and airing over the internet or media. Okay. Well, do you guys think it's going to be, cause it's, it's kind of been kind of both really. Is this going to be, do you think it's going to come down to foreign policy or domestic issues like jobs? I, I think it's really going to be a little bit of both. And I think overall Obama is going to carry it, but it's definitely going to be closer than 2008. Cause 2008 was, it, it was just suddenly became all about, financial issues obviously we're yeah. in the middle of a crisis yeah. 2004 was all about um homeland it was homeland security defense mm-hmm. so right. you can end the war in iraq now you know the economy is not great but it's not in free fall anymore yeah the yeah. war in iraq's been largely wound down the war in afghanistan's largely being wound down so now it's you know within the past couple of weeks you've had these, these uprisings in in um africa in, in yes but libya in <laughs> libya thank you tunisia yes. But um, other than that, you know, it's uh, I think that I think that um, the most immediate answer is definitely domestic issues. Um, I think foreign foreign will definitely weigh in a little bit, but um, especially with, you know, the recent the recent attacks on embassies and things like that. But, that, that was the first time a, a foreign a U.S. ambassador had been killed in, I believe, it was like 25 years. Yeah. Something like, I mean, which that's is, a, which is a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. And it's tragic deal. and it's, it's really sad. But but I think that's going to be. One or two questions versus domestic things being, you know, five to upwards of ten questions. Yeah, I think it's mainly going to be Romney saying Obama has messed up the economy and Obama <laughs> saying that the economy was already messed up and Romney will just make it worse. <laughs> and then they'll both talk about Iran a little bit, but I, I don't really think there's even that big an issue there. I don't think anyone really wants another war, and I certainly hope no one's going to call for one. So. What about China? That's been a big issue. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't think know, China is anywhere in the equation. Yeah. They were they were kind of you know shooting pot shots at each other. A they're couple they're days mad ago. at China's mad at Japan. I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's not, why that it's would. none of our business. All right, but all right. So I guess we're uh, we're wrapping this up. But hey, you know, crime, politics. We got so many serious topics on this show. Let's do some sound bites. It's a funny story when you think about people and their celebrity crushes. Despite the fantasy world that these Hollywood celebrities try to portray, at the end of the day, it just isn't real life. Yet and still, we find ourselves attached to people like George Clooney, Channing Tatum, Denzel Washington, just to name a few in no particular order. Although George Clooney is the hottest, followed by Channing Tatum and then Denzel Washington. It's interesting to see just how attached we can become to one person. Example, two years ago, the romantic movie Dear John was released. 
I sat there on the couch for 108 minutes just staring at Channing Tatum pursue a female other than myself. But strangely enough, for those 108 minutes, I just didn't care. And in my mind, there was no other girl for him but me. So I sat there and became emotional as I took on the role of Amanda Seyfried or Savannah in the movie. Anywho, I give you this example to show how we can appear crazy to others as we constantly fantasize over these celebrity crushes. But, hey, everyone has one. So, is everyone crazy? Are women crazier than men? Are men crazier than women? Jean, what do you think? Well, Jasmine, the recent he said, she said debate over which gender is more easily infatuated dates back to the ages of Greek mythology, where Juno and Jupiter were trying to resolve the timeless question. Which gender is crazier about the opposite sex? Thus, they consulted the prophet Tiresias, who lived seven years of his life as a woman. As we do not have access today to such a credible source, we should probably Google it. Maybe Wikipedia will have our answer. Yeah, that isn't the answer I think we're looking for. Um, Let's just ask the pack about their celebrity crushes in search of which gender's reaction is more extreme. So, Jean, what did you just think about that? Well, I don't 
know, Jasmine, I think that just shows that all of us are a little guilty of idealizing our celebrity crush. We just see them as, you know, the perfect human being. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Everybody does it. Everybody tries to live their fantasy through. Yeah, Jean, I definitely agree. Um, I, I think we're actually all guilty of fantasizing over these celebrities that we obviously don't know like that, but we all still do it. But there you have it, Pack for Island Triangle. It's Jasmine Shepard and Jean Jernov. By the way, George Clooney, if you're listening, I'm pretty much obsessed with you. Unfortunately, <laughs> Dave is not with us this week. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't holidays to celebrate. DeAndre, what very important holidays should we be celebrating this week? I'm sorry, that last part just got me. Okay, um, <laughs> so um, we miss you, Dave, first of all. Uh, but to start off, today is the 2nd of October, and it's also National Custodial Worker Day. Mm. So that, I mean, you know, that's just legit. Like, you can't really witty banter about that. You know? Well, I mean, yeah, they're very important. People don't pay attention to them, but uh, it's good that they have a day where they can stand in the spotlight, as it were. Yeah, dude, uh, pay them more. Uh, so, <laughs> definitely. Next is uh, name or uh, today is also name your car day. Do, do you guys name your cars? Oh yeah, definitely. What's your car's name? My car's name is Henry. What kind of car is it? It's a Dodge Caliber, and a lot of people give me a lot of flack for naming it Henry. Well, because oh, you're supposed after to, a boy. Supposed to be a I was gonna say you, you name ships and trains and planes Why? after you, after you women. Mean, if 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 it's a it's a for, How's it? Gonna, how is the race going to reproduce if it's a race of boys? How's it going to? I mean, a race cars, of girls. Cars me. race. <laughs> they don't. Re- Plus, my my car looks like a male. Like if you, it's just a it thing. You, like a yeah, like if you look if you look at the grill, you know. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The grill and the headlights. Yeah, yeah. I do that. Every yeah, because it, look, it looks, it it looks like a face. a face. It looks like a face, you know. So my my car looks like it has a male face. But that's a th- like it's. They're women. That's what you do. It's just always been done with ships, that trains. Is sexist. Anyways, uh, Jake, I know you have a car. Did you have you named it? No, my car does not have a name. Well, name it today. Come up with a name right now. Uh, no. Okay. Because <laughs> once you name it, it stigma. It's like it's stuck with the name forever, and I just rather I mean, not have a name for, for my car. For the purpose of being on air, like you're supposed to be in the spirit. Whatever. Tomorrow is Techies Day. Tech like. As in, like technology geeks? Yes. Okay. Geeks is offensive, Jake. I'm sorry. Technology. It's a techie. That's techies. why it's aficionados. That's techies. A techie. Techies. Okay, fine. That's techies. why it's politically correct. That's why it's the name. Techies for the day. is the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that goes for me. Um, next uh, tomorrow is also Virus Appreciation Day. Virus. Now let me let me, <laughs> let me click this link and see. I mean, viruses are all pretty pretty bad. But let's see which one we're talking about. <laughs> Well, first of all, uh, is this computer viruses or... That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Nobody's going to appreciate computer viruses. Um, Nobody's going to appreciate, like, biological no, viruses. Yeah, no, why? The, the that's only, the worst holiday. The only good thing viruses are good for is, like, immune, okay, so, making you immune to other viruses. Okay, yeah, so, so this this seems like... It's like There's, like, a debate going on on this site right now about whether or not we should... Like, who this was created by and why if, if we should celebrate it. So it seems like the... The holiday itself is fairly, uh, fairly controversial. So, but is it was it? I, computer- it's talking about uh, sick viruses. Okay. So I mean, but like, if you if you talk, if you think about it, viruses have killed more human beings on this planet than anything else. So I think that's really important. What about old age? Viruses, Jake. Yeah, okay. let's let's all agree not to celebrate. Okay. Virus yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is Screw that. <laughs> We're not celebrating. So, viruses. For, so uh, everyone forget I said that then. Um, Thursday is National Golf Day. 
I'm terrible at golf. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Uh, next is <laughs> National Frappe Day. I don't drink. Cap- okay. I don't drink. All right, Jake, coffee, so, so if you're going to continue to shut down all of these, I might as well just stop right now. Straight black. <laughs> Straight a black. Sugar, maybe, but um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've I've enjoyed a frappe or two. In, I tried, and I just day. can't get into them. I'm just yeah. I mean, it may be more of a female thing. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> that is a very sexist comment to make, DeAndre. DeAndre. Oh. Snap, snap, frappes. snap. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Generalizations are just that, you know. If I don't drink a frappe, are you then calling me a man? Ooh. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, what so did we're you gonna... name your car? Maybe that. <laughs> Maybe that'll tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Friday the 5th is uh, Do Something Nice Day. So, when you have, once again, nothing really witty to say about that. Do something nice. Uh, it's also World Teacher's Day. So do something nice for a teacher. Or we have professors at this point. We don't have teachers anymore. Is that is that legit? Like is that a thing that we can't I mean, call yeah. teachers anymore? I still well, call them teacher. Do you really? Yeah. Teacher. Yeah. Teacher. teacher. <laughs> I think they would feel disrespected if you don't call them. If you're, if you're gonna go like but why, get a PhD, you better call me doctor or professor. Don't call people, me teacher. They are people who you know what? Honestly, the doctor or professor that reflects in your paycheck. So you should be happy you get that, not the not the title. So. Yeah, title, yeah, title is prestigious. I mean, it's you're a doctor, you're a professor. That's you know, you want to be called. I don't know. I'm not. Well, either, you you so, don't need you a know. PhD to be a professor. That's what makes you a doctor. Okay. So <laughs> well, if, if you just if you teach a, at a college, you're a professor. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So I call Move, teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on is uh, <laughs> stay with us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Saturday, which is come and take it day. <clears throat> I don't even know take, what, what that means. You know, I, I think that I think that's referring to like the classic like line from movies, like oh, if you want it, come and take it. You that's know? stupid. That doesn't even make sense. Okay, listen, I didn't I didn't make up the holiday. No, that's fine. I'm not blaming <laughs> you. It just it doesn't I'm make just, sense. It's no, stupid. no, I I think that's right. I remember hearing that was like an actual phrase that the uh, Spartans used or something. Huh. Okay. Well. Yeah, I could click the I could click the link, but I'm not I going think, to. I think he's right. Yeah. So there you go. Next is International Frugal Fun Day. Frugal fun. Yes. Funny little history about the story. Oh, by the way, frugal means like cheap. I know. What, okay. Okay. I well, yeah. I'm saying that because I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just making so sure. I had to look it up for this segment. But, That's good, DeAndre. <laughs> but um, cute little backstory about this. Um, it says, this special day was created by Shell Horowitz, author of The Penny Pinching Hedonist, How to Live Like Royalty from a, with, um, with a Peasant's Pocketbook. Uh, and... It says that they strongly suspect that national or international frugal fund day was created to promote this book. Okay, so we can't do that on air. So <laughs> uh, next is Mad Hatter Day. It's the same day, the sixth Mad Hatter Day. So if you're a uh, Alice Buff, which I'm not, so <laughs> next is Physician Assistant Day. <clears throat> okay, that's important. Yeah, you know, like Janitor's Day and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. don't compare. <laughs> What? I'm, I'm sure many physicians' assistants will be offended. I'm saying, you just said that. I, I'm saying that it's it's a legit holiday that we should observe. You know, yeah, they all work hard. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Sunday is bald and free day. Mm-hmm. Bald and free, like um, what's his name, Bruce Willis. Yeah, and Tobias Funke and all those. <laughs> so yeah, be bald Classic and free. If you are, people. if you are bald, feel free on Sunday. Also, it's Oktoberfest. All so, right. Yeah, don't don't drink and drive. Next is <laughs> <laughs> next is World Smile Day. Uh, it's also Sunday, so smile. That's nice. Yeah. It's a good holiday. Yeah, legit. <laughs> smile a lot. Uh, Monday is America Touch Tag Day. 
Okay. American Touch Tag Day. Oh, as opposed to International Touch Tag Day? Is there like one of those? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't really look up the origin of Touch Tag, but what, what other kinds like, of tag you know, are there? Football and soccer. Freeze tag. You still got to touch people. <laughs> you can't play tag without touch. So are you saying that touch tag Europeans is- play touch tag different than we do. Oh, clearly. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's big over there. They have, like, touch tag clubs and stuff. And, and Andrew solves the mystery. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> uh, last but not least is uh, Columbus Day 8th. So. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, that just about wraps up all we've got for you this week. Um, from all of us here at Eye the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. Until next week, guys. Good night.